When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, this is Joel from The Passing Shot. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our show. We're supported by every one of our fans in the Passing Shot community. And if you want to become one of them and get the latest updates from your tennis catch-up service, then all you need to do is follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Passing Shot Pod. And if you like what you hear, then why not tell your friends or leave us a rating and subscribe. Thanks for listening. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. It's been another mad one in Rome this week. Rain, tantrums, midnight finishes, and of course, Rafael Nadal winning a clay court tournament. Let's play. Hello everyone and welcome to The Passing Shot, your tennis catch-up podcast. This week on The Passing Shot. We discuss all the fallout from Rome, including a ninth title for Rafa at the Foro Italico. In terms of his matches, in terms of the sorts of sets he was dishing out, there were lots of bagels, lots of breadsticks. We reflect on Conta's recent resurgence to form. Exceeded. <laughs> uh, I think even her expectations probably. She's had more wins on clay in 2019 than any previously in her career. We review the grand opening of Wimbledon Court Number 1, now with added roof. She played some really good tennis, like tennis that I would you know, pay money to see on the WTA Tour. And we discuss what is perhaps the longest ever baked bagel on the ATP circuit. And I, I hope it's gluten-free as well, actually. Oh, yeah, otherwise really Novak wouldn't have been able to eat it. And as always, you're joined by me, Joel, a.k.a. The Wandering Wildcard, and my co-host, the self-confessed queen of clay, Kim. How are you doing today, Kim? Hi, Joel. Yep, I'm all right. Thank you. I hope you're well. Um, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm on a high still from Eurovision on the weekend, which is one of my favourite things in the whole wide world. Um, I don't know if you managed to saw, see any of it, Joel, but um, the Netherlands won. So congrats to any Dutch listeners of the passing shot. But yeah. We have lots to talk about, as always, and uh, Roland Garros is right around the corner. So, you know, Rome has been quite significant, I think, going into the second Grand Slam of the year. Last Masters event, last Premier event before the French Open, and you know, plenty of eyes on it. As lots of, again, lots of talking points, lots of controversies, and we're going to start with the women. We are. So Carolina Vishkova, she won Rome. And she beat Joe Conta in the final. So perhaps a surprising final. Uh, Pushkova, 
for me, she's not someone that springs to mind when I think of tennis players who do well on clay. Um, although she did reach the semi-finals of Roland Garros in 2017. Um, so she's more than capable of doing well at Roland Garros. And, you know, she's playing herself into form at the right time by winning Rome. Um, she became the first Czech winner in Rome since 1978. And actually by winning Rome, she is now going to be seeded second for Roland Garros. So she is definitely one to watch. Um, and also, you know, in this final, she won it very comfortably against Conta. It was only an hour and 25 minutes um, in, in total. So it wasn't perhaps the final that kind of was really the main talking point of the tournament. But interestingly, she, I didn't realise actually, she's working with Conchita Martinez, who herself is a four-time Rome champion. So she probably had, you know, one of the best people in her box uh, to help her win this title. She has definitely helped Pliskova reach a level in her game. Um, she's obviously unlocked something in her on a clay court that's let her perform, let her be a contender, you know, winning Rome this week, certainly dark horse going into the French Open and you know, up to two in the world, second seed as well. I feel like as the second seed, still not many people are going to actually know who she is. In, in, she sh- in yes, yeah, she shouldn't really be a dark horse as, as the second seed. But I know, that's how, that's way, how crazy it is, though, I, know. I think. Like, <laughs> I know, it's weird, isn't it? I feel like she's undeservedly being underestimated. And I would be more than happy if she won Rona Garros in, in two weeks' time because she deserves to win a slam, in my view. But yeah, I mean, Conta as well. We should definitely mention Joe Conta's heroics this week because... Just by getting to the final, Conda has exceeded, uh, I think, even her expectations, probably. She's had more wins on clay in 2019 than any previously in her career. And this week, she reached um, the final by beating, well, Sloane Stevens and Venus Williams in the same day, as you do. She beat Von Drausova. She beat Kiki Burtons, who was the Madrid champion, so an incredibly informed player. And then, you know, she she missed out to Pliskova in the final, but I think she should certainly be very buoyed up going into Roland Garros by her performance this week. And actually, she now she will now be seeded number 26, which is a bit of a relief, assuming she will now avoid, a, you know, a dangerous floater in the draw. Yeah, certainly Conta for me is you know, play, playing in form, lots of confidence and she'll be one to reckon with come, come the French Open, which, you know, I don't oh, think we would have been... Might lose. I was going to say she might just lose in the first round, you know, to um, to Wei Shui. But yeah, that was her first top five win for two years. So good one, Joe. Maria Sakari as well. She reached the semifinals and is now up to 29 in the world. And she actually, Sakari was the one that beat Conta in the final of Morocco, uh, the Rabat tournament a few weeks ago. So Sakari, another player who will now be seeded, much to, to the delight or dismay of some others. Uh, talking as well of Marketa von Drausova. So she's only 19 years old from the Czech Republic. Um, she beat Halep early in this tournament. Um, Halep actually had a, a leg injury and I think was just kind of playing it safe in advance of Roland Garros. But von Drausova, she, she's up to 38 in the world and she is actually someone you really would not want to get in the first round of Roland Garros because she's had a really good run of form this year. She reached the final of Budapest, final of Istanbul, quarters in Rome obviously quarters in Miami quarters in Indian Wells and she won two matches in the Fed Cup so considering she's not going to be seeded at Roland Garros she's definitely someone with really good form that you do not want to meet and also another player that's had a really good resurgence of late is Christina Mladenovic 
Joel. And would you be able to tell us why that might be? <laughs> well, the Sasha Bajin effect is, is taking place. Um, <laughs> Mladenovic bringing on Bajin as a coach after he split with uh, Naomi Osaka. And yeah, he seems to be working working wonders on, on her game. I believe that Mladenovic is 10-2 and two since teaming up with Bajin in terms of her win-loss record. And yeah, in Rome, she defeated Anisimova in qualifying, Garcia in the first round, Bencic and Barty as well. So, you know, she's also got some some good form. And I think she beat Bencic and Barty back to back again on that crazy day when a lot of players had to double up. So certainly another player who is finding is finding their game peaking at the right time on the clay court. Yeah, maybe they should um, play two matches in the same day more often because it seemed to have helped certain people <laughs> with, uh, you know, getting that kind of flow um, all in the one day against top opponents. Um, yeah, so we also, another fairly informed player, Victoria Azarenka, she's now back in the top 50 of the singles. She got to the quarterfinals in Rome, but she also won the doubles tournament with Ash Barty. Um, so they've been playing quite a number of tournaments recently and this is their first title as a team. Uh, so they came back to to beat Gruneveld and Schurz ten uh, three in the match tiebreak to win to win their first team title in Rome. So I thought that was a pretty good going, and I, I assume they're going to play in the slams as well. And they, they definitely would be a one of the top pairings to put your money on, if you like. And Azarenka Azarenka took out the defending cha- champion in Svitolina in the singles as well. So. She's definitely one player to reckon with in the singles as well as the doubles, I think. Yep, double threat, double threat. Uh, as is Barty, as we've said before, she's um, in the top 10 in both the singles and the doubles. So arguably the, the greatest all-rounder at the moment in the women's game. But let's move on to the to the men. And uh, we had a familiar face winning uh, a familiar title on a familiar court, didn't we? Much much to your pleasure, Kim, yes. uh, as a Raphael, <laughs> as a Raphael Nadal fan. Um, who won? Who won his ninth Rome title, beating Novak Djokovic in the final in quite an odd scoreline, actually six love four six six one. Nadal was in pretty much imperious form, I think, across the whole week in terms of his matches, in terms of the sorts of sets he was dishing out. You know, it was kind of there were lots of bagels, lots of breadsticks, which we'll we'll get on to later. But um, the the final itself, yeah, was quite topsy turvy. I think Rome really suits Nadal's style of play. I think it's a, a little bit slower than Madrid. And I think like players like Sissipas found that out you know, when he faced him in, in the semi-finals. And when it was kind of in kind of previous matches where the ball was a little bit quicker, I think you know, Nadal had less time and it kind of affected his performance. But here, when he had a little bit more time on the ball, he was able to kind of yeah play the sort of clay court tennis that we're used to used to seeing from Rafa. I was watching this and, and I just, I didn't want to tempt fate by, you know, when Rafa won this first set six love, I thought I was not expecting that, you know, against Djokovic. And then, you know, Novak clawed back the second set and I thought, oh gosh, here we go again. So yeah, when Rafa came through, I was like, oh, phew. I'm sure many Rafa fans were also feeling like that. But yeah, I'm so pleased that Rafa's going into Roland Garros with a title. It's his first title since Toronto 2018. So it's been a while and uh, but actually it means that he now is the player with the most consecutive years with an ATP title i think it's 16 years he's managed to win a title every single year which i thought was impressive <laughs> 
but I'll, 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 I guess my question is: is like, is you know, if we're thinking about who is the favourite for the French Open, you know, Rafa's won one title this year. Does that instantly make him the favourite? Was he was he always the favourite, or do you think do you think someone like Djokovic, who's been a bit more consistent, is he the favourite? Who who do you think is the favourite, Kim? Well, it's a million dollar question, Joel. Yeah, I think... Does it matter? Does it matter? Does it really matter? Yeah, whoever's going to win the tournament is basically probably going to have to beat the other person. You know, I think if Rafa's going to win, Roland Garros is probably going to have to beat Djokovic. Djokovic is probably going to have to beat Rafa to win it. And plus a, a team or a Sitsipas, possibly Federer, possibly Diego Schwartzman or Fernando Vidasco. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know, really. I... Ooh, if Rafa had, you know, won Madrid, Monte Carlo as well, Barcelona, I would certainly say Rafa but mm, yeah I mean Djokovic probably does have the edge I think but I mean you just never know it I think it can also depend on the weather how like with with the final in Rome you know you can say that Novak was probably very tired because he had played an awful lot of tennis since the Friday night he was uh, involved in a really late quarterfinal match with Del Potro and he had to save match points to win that one and then also he had a three-setter against Schwartzman in the semis. So I think that probably did play a bit of a, of a factor in the final with Rafa. But yeah, I don't really want... I'm going to sit on the fence about Roland Garros because I just... I don't want to, to tempt fate by saying Rafa as a Rafa fan. I, I mean, I would, I'd still, I think, put Novak as the favourite. And I thought there was an interesting a stat out there saying that um, the last time that Novak won Madrid, but was runner-up in Rome. He won mm. the French Open. So whether that's a little you know, hint <laughs> of, of what is to well, come, yeah, we'll we'll see. But uh, yeah, I, there's certainly I think certainly Rafa and Novak are, are kind of out there in terms of the two two players you'd expect in in the final. But there's certainly other players that are kind of in the in the chasing pack. Again, I think you have to put. Sissipas in there, getting to the the semi-finals here in Rome, coming up against Nadal again, and this time succumbing to defeat. And uh, it remains actually that he had the chance to become the only player other than Novak to beat Nadal in back-to-back tournaments on a clay court, but um, wasn't able wasn't able to do that. No, but at least you know Sitsipas showed good. He showed good consistency, hasn't he, with um, his form in the clay? So it's uh, he will certainly be one to watch. But also, um, yeah, I mean, also Diego Schwartzman. He reached his his first Masters semi final, and he's back in the top twenty. And he's someone you don't really want to face uh, too often on a clay court. And what I loved personally was Fernando Vadasco, who I jokingly said could win the tournament. He pulled off a lovely upset and beat Dominic Team in, uh, I think it was the second round, on that kind of crazy, rainy catch-up day. So I was like, go Vadasco. But then obviously he ended up playing Rafa in the quarters. So I was like, well, as a Rafa fan, I'm afraid my my love of having a random prediction, you know, isn't going to be quite as strong. Um, but interestingly, Team has never beaten Vadasco. He's love and four. Um, in their lifetime record. So there must be something about Vadasco that does not rub well with Dominic team. <laughs> yeah, and we had uh, Del Potro as well, who, again, who's not had many matches this season, but seems to be, seems to have been able to kind of click into fifth gear with, yeah, almost this like you know, sixth match coming back. Had an absolute epic against 
Djokovic that went past midnight had had match points actually. So again, he I think will be a, a force to be reckoned with come the French Open. Obviously, there's going to be questions on how far he can go in terms of you know his fitness given the lack of matches he's played. But the matches he has played, he's shown that you know his quality has has not gone away, and and he's not needed the time to kind of yeah find find his racket again. I think other than Rafa winning his, uh, well, it's his 34th Masters, which is now the most. I think him and Djokovic just keep egging each other on for the most Masters titles ever. Um, but Rafa's now just taking the lead on that stat. We had that crazy day where, you know, everyone was playing multiple, multiple matches. Um, I love the fact that Rafa in his two matches, he only lost two games in total, which is just <laughs> epic. <laughs> you know, it's like the, the, the height of efficiency with that one. I also love the fact that they put the ticket prices up on yes. the Wednesday <laughs> because because Federer was going to play. And then obviously someone must have heard this in the gods because <laughs> it just rained the whole day. There was no tennis played. And yeah, as a result, we had this absolutely crazy schedule on the Thursday with, I think, all the quarterfinalists having to play two, having to play two matches, you know, with very little time in between. And... Some some got the better end of the stick, and, and some some of them not so much. But yeah, it was a, a crazy day, and I think that was kind of a controversy in itself. But kind of the biggest other controversy was Nick Nick Kyrgios defaulted in his match against Casper Ruud. Very, I mean, if, if any of our listeners haven't seen this, if you just kind of go onto YouTube and and type Kyrgios Ruud, you'll kind of see the the video footage and. It's just very. I mean, it's 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 what it's it's what we would now, I guess, expect from from Kyrgios. He he kicked a bottle through his racket and then yeah, hurled a hurled a chair across court before kind of picking up his bag and walking off. And yeah, the umpire umpire defaulted him. I think it was. I think the last straw was yeah, chucking a a chair on on court. But um, yeah, he was fined twenty thousand euros, forfeited all of his prize money as well as the ranking points. And I think he was told to cover his hospitality as well. So, you know, that wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't great. It, obviously not great to see. I think, you know, you kind of look at Kyrgios. It's like he is an entertainer, but he almost goes about it in the wrong way. And I think some crowds, like the Italian crowd, I think they love that. But I think if you did that in front of another crowd, let's say a British Wimbledon. crowd at Wimbledon, <laughs> yeah. I don't think they're going to react the same way as an, a, an, as an Italian crowd would. I think saying it wasn't great is a bit of an understatement because I mean, it was pretty horrendous what he did. I mean, I know he's not the first player to have had a massive strop on court um, and thrown stuff about, but he just doesn't seem to be learning from his past performances in, in doing this. And, you know, a lot of players, well, I don't know, not a lot of players, but I think Casper Rude himself was saying perhaps he should be... Um, be banned for a bit I don't know or have some kind of further punishment but you know Federer came out and said well I don't think you know that's really warranted you know through a chair but it's not enough to to get like a proper ban but I mean maybe a ban would be the only thing that would stop Kyrgios from behaving like this going forwards because if he can kind of get away with it with impunity he's just going to keep on behaving like a brat and yes he's entertaining but there comes a certain level where it's like just is pure disrespectful and he just needs to 
Find a sports psychologist, have anger management lessons, sort his, you know, his self out. But it's just, I think it's getting too much now. I mean, I think we've talked about in the past that, you know, he needs a coach and the coach will give him boundaries to work within. And at the moment, it's like he almost is operating without any sort of boundaries. And he, and as a result of that, he feels like it's OK to do all these sorts of do all these sorts of things. and it's it's not okay but you know we're just kind of I guess you know when are we going to learn you know he's got so much talent so much potential and yeah he's just kind of focused almost feels like there's kind of all this negative this negative energy interestingly I saw him on Twitter today I think he he flew to Wimbledon and actually had a practice with Andy so you know, you could just kind of see. Is he his not always, playing Roland Garros? <laughs> well, I think he's he is going back to back to France for Roland Garros. But you could kind of see this kind of, you know, his state is like, you know, I'm on the clay court. Okay, I'll just go onto the grass court, then back onto the clay court. I just think, yeah, his um, he needs to kind of, yeah, you know, I think he needs he needs to take a a long hard look at himself in the mirror. But you know, I'm sure he's been been told that plenty of times. Just. Just kind of one final point I'd say is we, we put this out on, on Twitter. Some of the most memorable tantrums um, of all time. And, and lots of you responded to us. And I think we will do a future episode, perhaps of the extra slice on some of the most uh, memorable tennis tantrums to have graced the court. We had some, some we had some great ones. Uh, we won't we won't spoil them. But if you, if you want to have a look, you can you can go on to our, our Twitter page to, to find out. Yeah, I'm sure gracing the court probably isn't the right uh, verb <laughs> to use with regards to temper tantrums. But um, John McEnroe, you cannot be serious, is the first one that comes to my mind. But that's such a cliche, <laughs> isn't it? So <laughs> let's go back to Rome anyway for the doubles because we had Juan Sebastian Cabal and Robert Farah, the third seeds, defending their title in Rome uh, with a victory. A straight set, 6-1, 6-3 over Raven Klaassen and Michael Venus. So they will be going into Roland Garros in probably the best form, having also won in Barcelona. So, yeah, uh, two Colombians on a clay court that are pretty hard to defeat. I think that brings us to a close. Let's talk Brits because we've kind of covered most of the British tennis action with Joe Conta, who has been our Brit of the week, uh, reaching the final in Rome. Everyone else had pretty dire results. So Cam Norrie, he lost to Borna Koric in the second round of Rome. Dan Evans lost first round to Kasper Ruud, who then went on to have the memorable match with Kyrgios. Carl Edmund lost round one to Vadasco after being a set and a breakup. I think we mentioned that last week on our Madrid catch-up. And then our doubles guys didn't even have a, a great run of form. Jamie Murray, Joe Salisbury, Dom Inglot all lost in the first round with their respective partners. And actually Carl Edmund and Neil Skopsky reached the quarterfinals, so they were our best performing doubles pairing of the week. However, in the doubles rankings, Neil Skupski has now reached a high ranking of 27 and Luke Bambridge and Johnny Amara are now world 40, world number 42 and 44 respectively. So um, that's career high rankings for all of them. So that's fabulous. And we actually, I say Conta was Brit of the week, but actually I digress because Gordon Reed, Alfie Humer and Dermot Bailey um, they have won the men's gold medal in the World Team Cup for wheelchair tennis, which was held out in Israel. So um, we've got some champions um, out in Israel. 
where Eurovision was being held. Oh, could could have watched tennis and Eurovision in the same week. Um, so that was the first time they've won that since 2015. So a big well done to the wheelchair men's tennis team. And also Andy Murray, you mentioned him a minute ago. He went to Buckingham Palace to receive his knighthood from Prince Charles. So I know we've all seen some of that footage on uh, on Twitter, which was nice. I don't understand that because we've been... He I'm received his knighthood so, a long time ago, didn't he? As in he was so, announced as a sir many years ago, but he basically he he's finally gone to the service, to the investiture to have it physically bestowed upon him. And I imagine there was only, there was such a delay because he was always busy playing around the world so he couldn't fit it in with the I, schedule. Well, no, I think, Kim, it's more that you know, he wanted to give his hip a, a test and he wanted to test it with, uh, you know, getting down on one knee for the, <laughs> so, for the uh... sword <laughs> perhaps yeah perhaps <laughs> and uh also just a note we've also had jay clark and james ward in action at roland garros qualifying today but sadly they've both lost in the first round of qualities so um yeah i mean to be fair jay clark was playing davidovich fakina who is like you know the 18 year old spaniard who's really Spanish up and coming prodigy. yeah future one to watch so that's no disrespect uh losing that one for jay clark also as we mentioned earlier joel um you were at something quite exciting on the weekend bit of live tennis bit of fun and games wimbledon court one have a new roof and they had a little party to celebrate paloma faith was there um and a really good opera singer that name escapes me uh was there um it was yeah the number one court number one court test event uh, they've got a well, yeah, you've probably seen in, in the news, they've got a, a new roof on the court, exactly identical to the roof on centre court. And yeah, this was a test event to test out the play and spectators, all of that within the within the stadium. And as a result, we've got kind of three three sets of invitational, invitational singles, as well as uh, mixed doubles and doubles. So it was a really great day. Lots of Lots of players are playing. So we had John McEnroe, Kim Clijsters, Venus Williams, Pat Cash, Leighton Hewitt, Goran Ivanisevic, and J- Jamie Murray and uh, Martina Navratilova all were all featured. I mean, the highlights for me, I think, first of all, fair play to Venus Williams, who <laughs> lost a Conta in, in Rome, but then, yeah, flew uh, flew to the UK and and partook in an event you know I'm sure she she didn't have to play she put on a really good match with Kim Kleisters and actually you know for someone I had not seen Kim Kleisters play in in a long time and she played some really good tennis like tennis that I would you know pay money to see on the you know WTA tour and to kind of see you know it's it's that kind of classic cliche that you know she's she's still got the talent you know class is permanent and you know that that match to me was probably the highlight. Venus won it, won it in a tie break by a, a point, but you know it just showed that you know Kim's yeah Kim Kim still got it. She's still got it. Yeah, I saw a bit on TV actually, and I thought she looked pretty good. And I was also you know impressed that Venus came over because it's a bit sort of clay to grass, back to clay again. It's not really ideal preparation going into Roland Garros, but she obviously felt it was you know obviously a worthy course going you know towards the Wimbledon Foundation. Yeah, and the and the doubles was all a bit of a it was all a bit of you know quite exhibitiony, lots of laugh out loud moments. Even Isovich is very, even Isovich is great, but also you got that there was a doubles pairing between Cash and Hewitt, 
which was just kind of great banter, great conversation. And then, yeah, Jamie Murray in as well. So, you know, it was, it was good quality, good quality tennis. But yeah, certainly it had its fair share of, of laugh out loud moments. I think even Isovich was at the kind of the centre of the most of, of the funniest things that, that happened on the day. Um, my favourite bit was when they they did a rally and even Isovich basically ran around the other side of the court hit the ball into the net and then cheered because he'd won the point for his team. <laughs> uh, yeah. Amazing. So, um, yeah, so it, it was great. And, and, and kind of looking at the roof and the stadium, you know, I feel, I felt like it went off, you know, went off without a hitch. We, I actually took a video, Kim, don't worry, of the roof opening at the end of the event, just so, you know, anyone who wants to kind of see, you know, what that looks like, <laughs> we'll put it on our, on our Instagram channel at Passing Shot Pod. If you want to see <laughs> the new number one court roof opening for the first time. But yeah, it was a, a really fun day out. And we also had one of the Passing Shot listeners, Tom Bryant, gave us a little WhatsApp voice note of his experience on the event. Uh, when I arrived and, and my first thoughts were, as I think every year, you know, the, the courts just looked absolutely amazing. The grass was just, I think Hewitt said afterwards, it was just unbelievable condition and, and just it just looked so pristine and and so smooth. The atmosphere was, was incredible. I think it's pretty much a full house. I think capacity is about 12,000 on, on number one court. So the, the event consisted of, of three matches. So there was a, a men's doubles match, uh, a ladies' singles and a mixed doubles. So the first match was a men's doubles, which was Goran Ivanisevic and Jamie Murray against Pat Cash and Leighton Hewitt. So that was that was a really entertaining match. I think the first point of the match uh, set a precedent for what was going to happen because um, Ivanisevic and Murray were both at the net and Ivanisevic got lobbed and... Um, Instead of, you know, trying to retrieve it by, you know, turning a lob over his head or by doing, you know, a hot dog or, or something, he um, he scooped the ball up in his racket, turned around, walked a few paces closer towards the net and then lifted the ball back over the net onto the other side and carried on the rally. And that was the very first point of the match. So it was obviously going to be, you know, a, a lighthearted, entertaining, you know, really fun and enjoyable match, which it proved to be. Um so that was really enjoyable. It mainly consisted of Ian Minisovic, you know, playing the Joker, um, you know, letting the net down, gave his racket to a ball boy at one point. So the ball boy got involved, um, playing with the crowd, you know, taunting the opposition. So that was a really good match. Um, the next match consisted of Venus Williams against Kim Clijsters. Um, so my first thought was, you know, what is Venus doing playing on number one court Wimbledon when she's got the French Open starting in less than a week's time. I thought that was very bizarre. I don't know whether she's doing that because she was getting a lot of money or whether she just absolutely loved Wimbledon. I don't really know, but um, very bizarre. But um, it's obviously a huge name. So, you know, All England done really well to obviously entice her to come. So they, they played a match, quite a serious match, actually. Andrew Castle said beforehand that Clash was, was really nervous, but but she played amazing, actually. And and I thought, you know, from watching it, that that she could easily, you know, return to the tour. You know, she could easily be be a top hundred player again, based on, you know, her movement still really good, and you know, hitting from the baseline was still really strong. And then the final match was the mixed doubles, which was uh, Jamie Murray back in court again with Martina Navratilova. Uh, they played against uh, Clijsters again, uh, Clijsters and John McEnroe. That was a bit more of a serious match than, than the first doubles, but, you know, still lighthearted, still entertaining, uh, still lots of pranks and, and funny things that happened. A few things that I thought from that match was that 
McEnroe looked in incredible shape. Um, I think he's actually turned 60 this year, so um, he was still whacking down serves at about 118 miles per hour, which is you know just unbelievable, and he played amazing. Navratilova, I mean, yeah, she's she's also amazing. You can tell she's still got a really, really good touch. And just to add to that, yes, he was five rows from the front, but I was three rows from the front and on television. So, yeah, I did have a little bit of a better view than him. <laughs> Stop boasting. Stop boasting, John. <laughs> give me give me a scoreboard story. I think it's time for a, a stat or two. Yes, yes. It can only come from Rome. Rafael Nadal, we said earlier... Bagels, breadsticks galore. He was the almost like the, you know, if in Bake Off analogies, he was the star baker. He was the star baker in Rome. He served up a ridiculous seven bakery products in his five matches, four bagels, so four six love sets, and three breadsticks, three six one sets. Um, that included, you know, he, he absolutely obliterated Jeremy Shardy. I think in his opening match, six love, six one. And then he beat Basilash Vili, six one, six love. And then, yeah, he kind of took that form to the final where we don't see that very often. Novak Djokovic receiving a bagel. And we have to give a shout out to another one of our, our listeners, Cameron Taylor, who who told um who told Kim this stat, which was which is a great one. It took it took 142 sets of tennis, 54 matches, and 13 years for there to be a six-love set between Nadal and Djokovic. So I'm I'm putting it out there. I think that is the longest ever baked bagel to have ever taken place on the ATP circuit. 13 years is absolutely. I mean, it's absolutely amazing, but... Um, well, it's a very stale bagel as well, if it's taken 13 <laughs> years to bake. And, and, I, and I, I hope it's gluten-free as well, actually. Oh, yeah, otherwise Novak wouldn't have been able to eat it. Um, I do remember in the Queen's final of 2008, I think Novak went almost five love up, and I was thinking, oh, no. But then Rafa came back to win the set 7-5. Um, but, you know, so we could well have had a bagel many moons ago. But, yeah, thanks to Cameron for that a lovely statistic. Um I was very proud of Rafa serving up his his bagels in Rome. And also with regards to Basilashvili, they played, I think, on Roland Garros last year and Rafa won like 6-1, 6-love, six 6-1 six or something. So I think Rafa should just play Basilashvili every single match because that would be I ideal. I think he would like Rafa. to play him over and over. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. I've seen his his set scorelines against him. I've been... <laughs> Maybe Basilashvili just likes bagels. And Maybe he just sticks. loves Rafa, Maybe. yeah. Yeah, maybe his diet is more wheat-based. I don't know. He just um, wants to be on scoreboard stories. I think we also <laughs> yeah. had another fun, another fun, um, not a numerical fact, but a, a, a literary, I don't know how, how you'd word this. Well, actually, I don't know how you would say this, Joel. <laughs> the longest I, yeah, e- me, name me, ever in tennis. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I have to give another shout out to this, actually, to the tennis talk on Twitter, because Chris Goldsmith did alert me to this uh, fact and it is from the ITF Naples event in Florida first round qualifying we had a matchup between Mara Schmidt uh, who's the fourth seed and uh, Kim <laughs> you I'm... go first <laughs> well the surname is companion but the first name is Kahia Okaleon Ahen Ahe Mike 
Alani, companion. Kahia o Kaliona Haina Haimalikalini. Oh, wow. That's oh, an incredible name. I think that was name. pretty good. I think that's pretty good. Maybe, I wonder if she's just known as Kahia or I wonder what people actually call her. <laughs> Kahia Companion. That's a great, that's a great tongue twister, isn't it? Kahia Companion. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was a, a, a great name, a name you don't see every day on a. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> on the scoreboard. How does that even fit on the scoreboard, Kim? I don't I don't well, know. Well, what if she becomes world number one? You know, what what's what's gonna happen then? <laughs> what are umpires gonna do? I suppose they'd just say her surname, but that's it's quite mad, but amusing at the same time. Uh, yeah. And uh if you want to see that if you want to see that name on a scoreboard and um you can do so on our Instagram page. We'll put it up after um the podcast. Uh, on at Passing Shot Pod. So yeah, if you want to check out all the latest from Scoreboard Stories, uh, go over and head over to there and you can see it in all its glory. Yes. So now let's move on to the wild card where we discuss all and sundry on the tennis tour. So we've had some announcements in the last week, uh, first of which is the ATP Cup. So that's kind of been more officially launched, I suppose. Um, They've kind of announced some of the the way it's going to be set uh, with regards to who can play uh, for the the event's going to be next January in Australia. It's going to have 24 nations. So one of the interesting points with how they're going to be doing the entry for the ATP Cup is that you need to have players, enough players from each country to form you know, a team. <laughs> so someone like Stefanos Tsitsipas, who is basically the only ranked player from Greece, would not be able to play. Um Whereas, and also someone like Nicholas Basilashvili from Georgia. So they are kind of, you know, have a very detrimental effect when it comes to collecting ranking points potentially, because this is going to be a ranking event where they can get points. So I'm not sure if it, it's a bit unfair with regards to, to how it's going to be calculated with who can actually enter this, this event. And, and also it, I, I find it quite funny is the, the ATP rankings that, that, that have gone live this week for the ATP Cup, they're purely for illustrative purposes, i.e. they don't have actually have any meaning. It's just kind of an indication on who might potentially be playing in the inaugural ATP Cup uh, you know, next season. So even though it's kind of there, it's still, I don't think it's a, you know, it's not a mandatory event. They're obviously trying to incentivize it by offering 750 ranking points but yeah at the moment it's kind of like I feel like it's there but you know you don't have to take it too seriously because you don't actually know what it what it might mean yeah that's true and also apparently Great Britain are are ranked as the third (laughs) exactly because of Murray's protected ranking of number two so that that's not right and you know Murray is probably not going to be there playing so it's all a bit up in the air at the moment we'll we'll, we'll remain uh, I think the first entry deadline is September and after that November so we'll, we'll report back <laughs> in due course on that one um the other interesting update was uh regarding WTA coverage it's coming to Amazon Prime and we kind of did reveal that this might be happening with a, in a recent episode featuring special guest Lee who runs the at tennis on telly Twitter account. But yeah, the women's tour from next year will be broadcast on Amazon Prime Video. Very excited. I'm kind of split actually, Kim, on, on this decision because on one hand, yes, it's great because you're bringing 
you know a lot of tennis coverage into one place under one subscription so on prime from next season you'll have atp wta and you know grand slam coverage as well in in the us open but at the same time we know that there you know i think the kind of constant kind of grumblings around the coverage is that yes the quantity is there but the quality and the delivery is just not up to scratch at the moment you know a lot of kind of you know wi-fi connections meaning kind of you're not getting you know hd quality um coverage you know play being not live and almost like delayed by kind of 10 seconds so uh, you know it doesn't these kind of things are kind of impacting yeah the kind of i guess the viewing experience that people it's more mobile though isn't it you know if you're traveling around you can just go onto your laptop and i think it's more flexible but i know that a lot of people do still prefer to watch it on a on a good old-fashioned telly um you know it doesn't beat like a big screen does it but it's interesting as well because you know who knows amazon they want to get more and more tennis they might be trying to you know secure the rights to the ao or the french open you know in in the future um so we might we might see it it going all on to, to Amazon. But I mean, they would have a bit of a, of a monopoly in that case, wouldn't they? So yeah, good and bad points. But um, yeah, uh, tennis on telly is, is the guy to uh, to ask if anyone's got any questions on broadcasting in tennis. Well, that just about wraps it up for this episode of The Passing Shot. We'll be back next time for a special French Open preview later uh later this week before the french open starts on sunday to give you the latest on the men's and women's draws when they come out on thursday but i hope you have enjoyed listening to this episode the rome catch-up but until next time thanks for listening and goodbye Thanks for taking the time to listen to our show. We're supported by every one of our fans in the Passing Shot community. If you want to become one of them and get the latest updates from your tennis catch-up service, then all you need to do is follow us on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook at Passing Shot Pod. And if you like what you hear, then why not tell your friends or leave us a rating and subscribe. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.